a former Israeli security chief claims we're not alone in the universe. Olivia Jade Giannulli's Red Table Talk episode dropped today, and it went about as well as you'd expect. And Nidhi Prakash joins us to discuss her piece, I'm 33 years old, I got COVID-19 eight months ago, I'm still sick. The date, December 8th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Zach Stafford. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. And Casey, I have really good news today. If we can just get right to it. Oh Are my you God, ready yes, for it? please take the reins. Oh my God, I'm just super excited. Okay, so Casey, <laughs> we've reached a new landmark in the fight against COVID. The first person to officially receive a vaccine who wasn't in a trial group is 90-year-old Margaret Keenan of the United Kingdom. Here's what she told BBC News about getting it. Just so strange and... Uh... So wonderful, really. Yeah, so anyway, this, this is for a good cause, so I'm so pleased I had it done. This is a terrible, terrible disease, so we do, we do want rid of it, you know, so anything that helps is a bonus, isn't it, really? The second person to get the vaccine was a man named William Shakespeare. As you can imagine, people have run with that idea and have made puns from the original Shakespeare's plays, including The Taming of the Flu and Two Men of Corona. Meanwhile, apparently there is life beyond planet Earth. Former Israeli space security chief Him Ishi told the Jerusalem Post that there is a galactic federation that both Israel and the U.S. knows about. Ishi clarified that this federation has kept itself a secret because, quote, humanity isn't ready and humanity needed to, quote, evolve and reach a stage where we will understand what space and spaceships are. <gasps> okay, Casey, that's why I want to just get to it because yes, these are you two, had two big giant- stories. Oh my God. <laughs> like life. It's just life is the theme. Oh we my have life. God. <laughs> We're okay. going to live past the vaccine and there's life outside planet. Usually <laughs> I, I would want to be like, oh my God, let's talk about how great the vaccine is because yay, blah, blah, blah. We need to talk about aliens. <laughs> yes, of course. Good luck to Margaret. Love that for you, girl. But let's talk about aliens. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this is what, this is coming from the space security chief. Like, this isn't from someone on Reddit. <laughs> this is... No. And, and I, I think what's wild about this is because, one, yes, it is my firm belief Belief that you are dumb if you don't believe in other forms of intelligent life out there. That is my firm belief. I'll say it at any point. But I think what's wild about this is how bluntly it was said. Yes. <laughs> Where they're like, there is a galactic federation. <laughs> yes. That has allegedly a facility on Mars. There are allegedly uh, humans that are there working with the aliens. It's really incredible. But Casey, the most incredible part about this is that President Trump allegedly knows, according to the space security chief, and they had to beg him. The aliens had to intervene for him not to spill the tea. What? That is... That's what makes me believe that this is real. That Trump was like, I'm going to tell everybody. And the aliens even had to be like, girl, calm it down. Do not do this, please. Okay, but the chief is saying like, you know, we weren't ready to know about this, right? Mm -hmm. But now we are because now we know (laughs) they're saying humanity's ready because based on 2020, I don't think we're ready. I think he is just an elderly person and said, you know what? I'm about to go and it's time for you people to know I'm done carrying the secret. So he did a little unloading onto us. So fair, you know, I fair. was, I'm similar to you, Casey. I, I believe that there is intelligent life out there. This universe is massive. It's vast. It doesn't end. So we are not that special. We are special, but we are not that special. So that's what it is. But to loop back to the first thing, we cannot uh, not celebrate the fact that vaccines oh, are rolling out in yep. the United Kingdom. Huge, huge thing. The UK has seen the spike like we are seeing in the US. So this is great news for them. But again, people have to take a few of these 
these vaccines after 21 days. So this is not going to be like back yes. to back and, to back. And again, the vaccine protects you. It doesn't protect others. So still exactly. wear those masks. So we're just, this is a light at the end of a tunnel, but we still yes. got to get to oh, the tunnel. And I'll take we it. We got a tunnel. Yep. That's all we need today. We got some hope today. Intelligent life, <laughs> vaccines. All right, Casey. So get us up to speed on everything we need to know when it comes to entertainment and pop culture today. And you know what? I'm sorry to kind of bring it down. We're not going to bring it down. It's not depressing, but it's more just like, oh boy. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> okay. This is the story we have to talk about today. And that is Olivia Jade Giannulli's Red Table Talk episode that just dropped this afternoon. It is the first time we've heard the influencer and former USC student talk about the college admission scandal that brought down her budding career and sent both her parents to prison. I mean, not for very long, but they were both given short sentences. The episode starts off with host Adrian Banfield Norris, mother of Jada Pinkett Smith, explaining why she was very against having Olivia Jade on the show, saying, quote, I feel like here we are, a white woman coming to black women for support when we don't get the same from them. Her being here is the epitome of white privilege to me. It's a point she brings up to Olivia about midway through the interview. There's so much... Um, Inequality. Uh, yeah, inequality and inequity. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you come to the table with something like this, it's like, child, please. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I get that. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted with everything that we have to deal with as a community, and I just don't have the energy. During the interview, Olivia explains that she came on the program to apologize since she wasn't able to legally speak about what happened until now. She also says the experience helped her to understand that she is, quote, the poster child for white privilege and that even being invited to the table is a privilege in itself. I didn't come on here to, like, try and win people over and say, I really need people to like me. I just want to apologize for contributing to these social inequalities without maybe not, even though I didn't realize it at the time, like being able to come here and recognize that I am aware. Yes. You know? And that's all we can ask. She goes on to explain that it took her a while to understand why what happened was wrong, since it's common for people in her community to give donations to schools to get their kids in. She also doubles down on the fact that her parents really thought the college counselor they hired, who ended up being at the center of the scandal, was actually legit. I... I just, you know, I, know. What? I love the Pinkett Smiths for creating the Red Table Talk for it being the place that people I've never heard of come to apologize and PR spin. <laughs> it's really all I got to say about that, because this young girl, young woman, rather, is just she is the, the epitome of white privilege and what happened with her parents and the fact that they're getting away with it, that like they're going to continue to work in Hollywood and do all these things. is just really infuriating. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Good luck to her, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with Adrian Banfield Norris, again, mother of Jada Pinkett Smith on this one. Um, and I wonder what the discussion was, because I have to assume that they're both producers on this show. Was it kind of like an infighting someone being like, you know what? No, we should have her on. Then, you know, maybe Adrian being like, I don't want to give the stage to her, et cetera, et cetera. So I really do appreciate that Adrian like really held her ground and was like, her face did not break the entire time. She was not happy with the situation. She could see like they were giving a platform to this privileged white woman. So I'm glad like she did ask the hard questions, bring up these points because, yeah, I could see how that's extremely upsetting. At one point, she's just saying like how exhausted she is. You know, she doesn't have the bandwidth for for this young woman. Yeah. 
Yeah, she owes her nothing. And I think you and I talk about this a lot with, you know, platforming certain people. And, you know, we have a show that people do listen to. and We have to be conscientious of who we let come on to mm. PR spin or BS or whatever. And all I have to say is I'm so glad that Mama, uh, Mama Smith was like, no, if she's going to come on here, I'm going to say what I have to say to her. And she needs to hear it. And I do think that's that's productive. It would have been a whole other thing if they just let her go on there and just do whatever. So I'm glad accountability is happening. That's all we can ask for. Yes, exactly. All right. So when we come back, we've got our colleague, Nidhi Prakash, to talk to us about her experience being COVID positive. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl. Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special. Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this. At the end when he says you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke. I believe that. I feel like I did. I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was, I I, I tossed that one out. Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver. And on my podcast, Mini Questions, I ask trailblazers across different disciplines the same seven questions. Questions about the inflection points in their life, what they like least about themselves, and what relationship has defined love for them. This season, I'm coming back with new trailblazers like Blondie vocalist Debbie Harry, journalist and television host Jeremy Clarkson, editor-in-chief of Instar magazine Laura Brown, and creative juggernaut Goldie. Join me as we continue this exploration on season two of Mini Questions, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome back. We're absolutely in the midst of another surge in the COVID-19 pandemic. More than 100,000 people are hospitalized in the U.S. with the virus right now. And last week, we were averaging around 200,000 cases every day. What these numbers don't account for are the people who may not be sick enough to be in the hospital, but who have been sick for months. They're dealing with the long-term impacts of the virus and not getting a lot of answers about what's happening to them. BuzzFeed News' Nidhi Prakash is one of those people. She's written about her experience battling COVID-19 in a new article. Good afternoon, Nidhi. <laughs> Hi. Good afternoon. Thanks I'm just for so having ex- me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited <laughs> to see you. And I'm so glad you seem to be doing well. But I guess to begin, you know, how are you doing? I read your piece this weekend. I'm 33 years old. I got COVID-19 eight months ago, and I'm still sick. So how are you feeling today? 
I'm feeling okay. You know, it's so funny. Like it's so easy to fall back into old patterns from when I was really a hundred percent. So like yesterday I was super energetic. And, uh, so I decided to do like three different things. I went for a walk, I did my laundry and I cooked and like, I felt great while I was doing it. And then like half an hour later, I was like, Oh, okay. I feel like crap again. And, oh, like, no. So it's like, <laughs> it's just this constant kind of balancing act. So yeah. like, I'm feeling a little rough today, but you know, doing okay. It's a roller coaster. It sounds like a, a, a wild roller coaster. So you caught the virus pretty early on while covering the election for Buzzfeed news. So what were your initial symptoms back then compared to now? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing is that I had like a pretty full on kind of gross cough, um, initially. Um, so right now it's more like I sometimes get a little bit of shortness of breath and like with that, a bit of kind of dry coughing, um, back then, like the cough was like really full on, like there were nights where like, I just could not stop coughing. And that was like the really major thing. And then I, after that, there was like, it's funny, it all kind of like went through these cycles. Um, so it started with the coughing and then it went into just like this incredible headache. And it was like weird because back when I got the headache, this was like early April, the CDC hadn't listed it as one of the COVID-19 symptoms. So like I was talking to doctors and they were like, well, that's weird. We're hearing this from other people too, but it isn't officially on the list of symptoms. There's just been so much uncertainty through the whole thing. Um, so there was that. And then I was also just dealing with fevers coming and going, which thankfully I haven't had a fever in a while. So what have doctors been able to tell you about your condition, if anything? Yeah, really not very much. Unfortunately, um, the doctors who I've spoken to say that they're seeing this from lots of people, that it's not unusual. Um, but really that they don't, there's nothing to be done about it except to just get more rest, you know? Um, and they say that it's getting rest, but it's also gradually getting back to exercise, which again, is easier said than done because sometimes like yesterday, if I just do too much, it wipes you out. So you just have to be really careful. Right. You've talked about how you're coping with something called spoon theory. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, sure. So, um, spoon theory is something that a patient advocate who also has lupus herself came up with, um, Christine Misserendano. And basically it's her way of kind of trying to conceptualize and explain to people what it's like living with a chronic illness that really kind of like is one of those invisible illnesses in quote marks and, um, and that also really affects your energy levels. Um, and what it is, is basically trying to really think about your energy is a finite resource every day. So like you wake up in the morning and you might have 15 spoons of energy and each thing you do takes up like a certain number of spoons. So like yesterday when I kind of overdid it, it would have been like, okay, doing the laundry is really like six spoons. <laughs> Cooking is like five spoons, you know, and then like just getting up and like making breakfast for myself is another couple. So it's just like, it's a way of kind of trying to explain that we are constantly kind of making choices about how we spend our energy. Um, and that's a totally new way of living, I think for a lot of people. And certainly for me, like before all this, I was like, go at everything hard kind of like, yeah. you know, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting to think about that spoon theory in conjunction with something you described in your article that I have to read a quote from, cause it made me reimagine kind of what this experience must be like. And you write, I wake up most days feeling like I drank a six pack of beer the night before, which is, you know, a lot to do every day. We're no longer <laughs> college so so you spoke to other young people was this something that they also talked about do they feel like it's a hangover that you begin your day with every day because that must be really tough 
Very much. Yeah, definitely. And like, that is one of the lingering things that I think everyone I spoke to who has this fatigue, um, and the kind of sense of just like generally feeling really run down and yeah, like generally feeling like you wake up with a hangover every day, which is horrific. So like, <laughs> you know, um, not great. Yeah. <laughs> not great. <laughs> you also mentioned that Biden's plan to protect health insurance coverage for pre-existing conditions and make insurance accessible for those who have lost their jobs will help a lot of people, but that it's not enough. What else would you like to see from his administration? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that obviously we have a crisis point right now we have for a while where it really is so much of a focus on saving lives and on hospitalizations and all of those very important things that deserve precedence. But I think eventually we do have to deal with the fact that all of these people, thousands of people, we don't know exactly how many people, but certainly at least thousands of people have these lingering symptoms and we have no answers. So really whatever it takes to get us support and answers, which in the UK, for example, they're investing in clinics that are specifically set up to treat people and they're public clinics. So it's not like you have to have some like high tier insurance to access them. Um, and they're investing in research to try and figure out exactly what this is and what's going on. Um, so things like that, I think are just going to be really necessary. All right, Nidhi, I want to read this bit from your piece because it feels so poignant. You write, an obvious lesson I learned this year, you can't bully yourself into disappearing a life-threatening illness. The idea that the president seems stuck on that it's a question of fearlessness or mental toughness is just not how this or any illness really works. And yet, as he minimized the disease on national television, I once again minimized my own sickness. I can get back to work in a day or two, I told myself, while I labored to breathe. Just one more day. So what do you hope people reading this piece come away with, Nitty? Yeah, I mean... I think that really something that I sort of conceptually knew, but hadn't like firsthand understood before was just how grueling our kind of system of work and life is, especially in America that, you know, there's really very little emphasis on like health and looking after yourself. And like so much of our identities are tied to work and being able to push through things, you know? Um, and I think that that actually is not, a realistic thing to expect of humans through their entire lives all the time, hundred percent, you know? Um, so that's what, I guess I hope that people kind of like think about that a little bit more and whether or not that, you know, moves things forward or not. I don't know, but it would be a good start to just be thinking about it. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to see you both. All right. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow when we talk about the changes the animated show Big Mouth has made with Michael Blackman. And remember, if you're going to go big on your apology tour, make Red Table Talk your first stop. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. If dog people made dog food, it wouldn't be sold in a 50-pound bag in the hardware aisle by the shoe polish. It would actually be food. It would be made with real, fresh meat and veggies gently cooked to preserve their nutritional value. You know, like food. The Farmer's Dog was created by dog people who cook and deliver fresh, healthy food. Try the Farmer's Dog and get fresh, pre-portioned meals tailored to your dog's needs. Tell us about your dog, build your plan, and get 50% off at thefarmersdog.com listen. That's thefarmersdog.com listen. 
Have you ever felt depressed about work, only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job, and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant, and I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy, so that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could. At Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't. Look through your children's eyes, and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.